Sean Bernard, Sixers Insider, Fox Sports, The Gambler. What is the vibes? A lot going on in the NBA. What's new, man? Yeah, vibes are great over here in Philadelphia, especially coming on the heels of a 70-point performance from Joel Embiid. Had a chance to be in the building and check that one out in person, so an all-time moment for myself as well. And overall, things are good in life. Things are good in Sixers world. Can't complain whatsoever. Since you were in the building, what were your biggest takeaways from that game? I mean, it's tough to look anywhere but Joel Embiid. That the, the way he has mastered the offensive end is really impressive. And also seeing Victor Wembanyama in person was something that I yeah. can't take for granted either. So that was very cool as well. Uh, overall, just like a historic night of basketball to be able to take that, see him in attack mode from start to finish and fill it up in every way possible in the stat sheet. So shout out to Joel for the, the offensive motor that he brought in that one and overall producing a win for the team. As great as he's been, it feels like there's been some names around the NBA that have been trending even more than his. Do you feel like his season has been going underappreciated thus far, even though he's averaging 36 a game? Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, no hyperbole here when I think that Joel Embiid's current season is the greatest individual offensive season that we've seen in NBA history. That You check the numbers. Will Chamberlain? Better than Will Chamberlain. Currently averaging more points per minute and a greater points per 36 minutes than Will Chamberlain, even in the height that I know that you're reducing his numbers. We're talking about Will in those days playing 48.5 minutes per game, which is absurd considering that means he played every minute and all of overtime. But the things that Joel Embiid is doing right now, it's unbelievable. A true three-level score when we talk about a guy that can drop in the post, a guy that's absolutely automatic from the mid-range that's become his bread-and-butter shot, and that can still step out and shoot the three. So it is impressive. It's a blend of, a blend of size, strength, and just overall skill that I don't think we've ever seen before. So I do think this is very much going underappreciated on the national scale for how good he truly has been. I detect no lies when you're talking about Embiid's skill set. I would say Wilt averaged 50. Imagine doing that with being a poor free throw shooter. That's tough, sure. Sean. <laughs> sure. But I, I honestly think that's a, a another notch in Joel Embiid's belt, that it's a weapon. He's shooting 88.7% at the free throw line this year. And especially when you get into those end-of-game situations, like Shaq's an example I like to bring up that – if you think about if he could hit free throws, what his statistical numbers would look like, and especially when the, the hack-a-shack is being coined from a tactic being able to take him down, Joel is the level of star that he wants the ball in his hand when it is fouling down the stretch as teams look to extend the game. That is very valuable, especially in postseason settings and things like that. Obviously, I know people are going to throw the, the postseason uh, shortcomings of Joel in his face as soon as they can, and that is something that he has to wear, at least for the time being, until he proves those wrong. But I think that is another notch in his belt and a, a testament to another level that he's developing. So my viewpoint is Joel Embiid is definitely great. Great offensive player. The Sixers' best defensive player as well. Yep. Um, Two-way impact. Probably one of the best shooters in the NBA at this point. But I would say that, in my opinion, Jokic and the rest of the league, when it comes to that, the gap is widening between who's the best player in the league. I know you might have some pushback on that. And I think it all comes down to his ability to make everybody around him better which, yes, you could say Embiid is the better defender, but I believe when you have that ability, it's like the LeBron James, Jason Kidd, John Stockton effect. It gives the team juice on both sides. And also, obviously, he's coming off a championship. Would you have any pushback on that viewpoint? I, I would, to be honest. That okay. Could you name me another player that you would say is the best player on their team on both the offensive and defensive end? I don't think we've seen a lot of players like that since Kawhi Leonard, and probably the guy before that was Michael Jordan. Right. So that's kind of where I'm coming up from this. And by the way, Sixers second in the NBA net rating, third in the Eastern Conference. That when you talk about Joel Embiid, who 
it is night and day. I would say the gap is even greater defensively when you see when he's off the floor. And that, that's purely like an eye test of how easily guys are getting in there. There's plenty of numbers that you can dig into and back that up as well. But when you see his off the court, the entire just identity of that team has changed. And that's not, not even including that he is leading the entire NBA in scoring for the third consecutive season. So to see him averaging over 36 points per game, we're talking like James Harden, Houston era level of scoring as far as the most recent guy to kind of touch these numbers. And he's doing it in such a such a more diverse way from the post, from the mid range, all these things. And as far as the playmaking, I mean, Joel has improved his playmaking by far a career high. There was a pass last night in the process of the that 70-point game that might have been my favorite play of the night with a little spinning behind-the-back pass to Kelly Oubre under yeah, the basket. That was nice. And to be honest, the playmaking, I think it's been way less about Joel as a skill set and his ability and way more about the scheme. That when you flash back to the Doc Rivers offense, that is Joel Embiid at the elbow and then everybody spacing the floor and standing. That there's not like passes for him to make. When you look at it this year, when there are the backdoor cuts by Kelly Oubre, them running pin downs, off ball, creating looks for other. These are passes that Joel can deliver on. Over six assists, ranking the top 20 in the NBA in playmaking. He's the best player in the NBA. And I, to be honest, I don't think it's that close right now. John, I want you to put your GM cap on for this hypothetical question. If you could draft one player to your Philadelphia 76ers, I'm going to give you a time machine as well. Allen yeah. Iverson or Joel Embiid, who are you taking? It's Joel, just purely from the two-way impact. And I love AI. That's my first love for basketball, the guy that I, I fell in love with first seeing him play. And there is like a toughness and spirit that he embodies that just sticks with Philadelphia, a relatability that Joel, frankly, will never touch. But when you talk about just purely a basketball standpoint, as we mentioned with Joel, it's the two-way impact. There, there's nights that he absolutely takes over games defensively, and then there's nights that he scores 70 points on the offensive end. So he truly is a unique talent. There, there is nothing like him that I've seen. And, like, I'm tired of holding back and pumping the brakes because, again, I know the playoff shortcomings are going to get thrown in his face. I know there's critiques that you can have, the injuries, these things. But it is greatness in front of us. He's an all-time great player in the prime of his career, and we should not be taking it for granted. We definitely shouldn't. I would say the impact, like me as a GM, the impact that AI had off the court and For his sure. ability to put butts in the seats and was even more of a household name than Joel Embiid is another reason why I might take AI. And then he led his team to the finals one year. I mean, basketball-wise, too. Yeah, and, and with far less than uh, than we've seen. Like, that's that when you take AI off that team, I know they had the Dikembe Mutombo, Eric Snow, not these guys that were absolute slouches, but as far as in the, the grand, grand scheme of contenders, that was a pretty much nothing team. To, to see AI uplift that team and kind of carry them on that run was really special. And the step over, the way he dressed, the way that he did embody Philly, the practice speech, all those things. There's plenty to love about AI, and I absolutely do. Don't take him for granted by any means either. But I do think that there is a special place from a pure basketball perspective that Joel Embiid has reached that I don't think we've ever seen anyone since Will Chamberlain do in the Sixers organization. Yeah, 70 points for Embiid, 62 points for Cat. I think we could get to that another day. Some other <laughs> crazy news, Adrian Griffin. Yeah. Such a short time span with that team. I don't think we've seen anything like this in the modern NBA. Uh, you covered Doc for a period, for a long stretch. So you have some insight on the way he coaches basketball teams. Are you surprised that he's the first name that came up? Yeah, I am surprised if I'm going to be completely blunt. I do think it's a mistake on Milwaukee's part that for starters, I'm I'm shocked at how short the leash was on Adrian Griffin, that it has not been as pretty as everyone hoped and expected in Milwaukee. It's really tough as your first year as a head coach and first opportunity as a head coach to have legitimate championship expectations that like that's a high bar to reach. So I think there is some regard of him being set up for failure and having a tough situation there. There's going to be some ugly mudslinging these next couple of days as far as reports leaking out. Already seeing some about Dame Lillard 
Lillard not feeling like he fit in the offense, things like that. But mm-hmm. I don't think Doc Rivers at this point in his career is the guy that can take you over the championship edge. And I think we saw that front and center in Philadelphia. It's fair to say that Giannis didn't want Adrian Griffin there. I think that's yeah. what it all comes back down to. Yeah. Absolutely. We see the power that stars have nowadays, and it's much easier to have that Band-Aid fixed to bring in another coach than find a a player of Giannis's talent. You can't really replicate that. So that is the fix, and that is the direction they're going. So we are looking at the trade deadline, and Bruce Brown is one of the most unique role players that the NBA has. We've seen him in Brooklyn playing as a small ball five. We've seen him in Denver playing as a backup one, could guard multiple positions. Now, I asked you to put your GM cap on. I want you to put your agent cap on now because the two teams that we're hearing a lot about when it comes to Bruce Brown are the Knicks and the Sixers. For Bruce, which is the better fit? It should be the Sixers. I absolutely think that it is. That I do think the Sixers are one kind of high-level role player away from being this this up there with the Boston. That I think they're a slight notch between the Celtics. We're going to identify them objectively right now. And as far as skill set wise, I think Bruce Brown would be an excellent addition as far as he adds a little bit of playmaking that can play next to Tyrese Maxey that I think would be very helpful. He is a guy that they would help on the defensive end, that he would be another option that Nico Batum has been absolutely phenomenal for this team. But I think there's a little bit too much on his plate right now. So having a Bruce Brown that could help with some of these areas, the secondary playmaking, the defensive ability on that end, and then the three point shot that he, you know, from the corners can be very deadly for him. So there's a lot that he adds to this team, a lot of boxes that he can check for me it's Bruce Brown and I would say I'm probably higher on the Knicks than most from a perception of how good that team is but I think if you want to win a championship the answer should be the Philadelphia 76ers so does that push him ahead of in your opinion of the Celtics and the Bucks of Bruce Brown acquisition in a trade Celtics is tough for me for me it's the Celtics one and then there's a drop off and I think the the Bucks and the Sixers are in a similar tier right now that I think the Bucks have some legitimate issues and now this coaching things adds a whole nother layer to what they're actually going to look like I've been really disappointed in them defensively and I know there's a, obviously a significant drop off when you go from Drew Holiday to Dame Lillard but when you have Giannis and when you have Brooke Lopez you just frankly should be a good defensive team that you should find ways to be at least successful in that area in a way that I don't think they've touched the Sixers I think have outperformed expectations and Joel Embiid as I kind of started this off with is the best player out of all these guys that we've mentioned that there are nights where he can purely put a team on his back and win on the highest stage we need to see that come this postseason but I am believing the the leap from Tyrese Maxey guys like Pat Bev that are making an impact Nico Batum has been absolutely awesome I do think this is the right combination of role players. Kelly Oubre as well adds a ton to this team from an off-ball standpoint. Guy who's been bought in defensively far more than I expected when he came in. So I am in on the Sixers team, and I I would put them, I would say, a slight notch below Boston right now. But with that right trade and with that missing piece, I think they rise to that level. Pat Bev, funny podcaster, too. Big time. I I love the Pat Bev pod with Roan. Shout out Roan, too. did Did you hear him? Like, did you know him before the pod as, like, a battle rapper? I did. Yeah, I'm yeah, he was I'm great. A, yeah, I've I've checked out some of his stuff as well. I've had some interaction with him. He's a Philly guy as well. So I never owned a little bit. Cool guy. OK, cool. All right. So now now I know there's all kinds of trade machine stuff probably going through your head. You're not sure if the Bruce Brown would put the Bruce Brown acquisition would push him ahead of the Celtics. Is there a risk realistic trade that you feel the Celtics could make to push them to make them number one in the East? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I do think that there's a, a regard of the Sixers needing kind of like a guy, a guy that can self-create, have kind of some, a level of an offense. Mm-hmm. Laurie Markkinen would be my pipe dream guy. I Ooh, think that's pretty yeah. unrealistic of that actually coming. I think if he was actually to be put on the trade block, I would expect the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Thunder to be the team that 
produces that pretty penny that gets the deal done. I don't think the Sixers quite have the stuff. And frankly, I think that the the uh, Jazz will ultimately end up keeping him. So I've also talked myself into DeJounte Murray quite a bit that I've never seen a guy scream, come get me the way that he has with his play of late with the two game winners. And I do think like having a guy that can carry an offense when there's no Tyrese Maxey on the floor that I've noticed that with the Sixers team is probably my biggest issue is when Tyrese is not on the floor and he deserves a ton of credit for growing in this level to, to make this type of impact. But there's a night and day difference with how this team looks. So adding another creator, a guy that can score and play make like DeJounte. And if you take the best parts of DeJounte's game, both in his Spurs period of time and his Hawks period of time, that is, to me, the player the Sixers are missing. Now, there's obviously some downfalls in both of those as well. And I, I'm a little concerned with, I guess, the, you know, with how well he seems to be playing, the eagerness to deal him. So there's definitely some concerns with it. And I'm not 100% sold, but I would, wouldn't mind taking a big swing and going after DeJounte Murray either. You like DeJounte over the Bulls crew? Caruso, Levine, DeMar DeRozan. I think DeMar DeRozan kind of occupies the same space, even though they're different positions than Joel. I don't really like the idea of that, even though he's a great basketball player. Um, are yeah. any, do, do any of those guys you think could fit the Sixers and um, help them make a push to win the East? Yeah, the, the price point's the interesting part for me. I, I'll start with I love DeMar as a player. If they are going to make a DeMar trade, for me, you have to trade Tobias Harris that I think can't think you have that level of repetition that Tobias and Embiid already op occupy some of the similar spaces on the floor. And then when you add DeMar to that mix, just not going to happen. One of my issues with the Sixers team is too mid-range heavy at times and that there's not enough of a emphasis from, from beyond the three-point arc. So adding DeMar to that mix obviously is not a solution there. I'll say there's a chance that I think the price point on Zach Levine steep so low that it's worth going for. I think he's got a bit of a bad reputation that he's a better player than the perception of him seems to be. And when he is bought in, that I think he's a fine defender, a passable defender, and a guy that can get red hot. Like, we've seen him score 50 points in a game this season. He's that type of talent. And there are some connections there with Zach Levine, that he's a Drew Hanlon guy that trains with Joel. He's a New Balance guy that has done some commercial shoots and at least is somewhat connecting to Tyrese Maxey. So it would not surprise me if Zach Levine, but that contract is scary to me. And what has kind of slanted me towards Murray is the long-term flexibility, that you can always kind of move on with Murray, a guy that's carrying around a $20 million number versus Zach Levine, who you're really committing to with a 40 million plus number for the foreseeable future yeah i mean you kind of spoke to the sixers shot profile and it's interesting almost every name we talked about doesn't really shoot threes at volume even zach levine he doesn't really shoot him at volume bruce brown like he'll catch and shoot he can knock it down he has to be honored caruso doesn't really shoot him at volume is there a player that fits that mold that you really think could really help this team duncan robinson is off the trade table he's untouchable at this point <laughs> i don't maybe evan fournier he's a, yeah, uh, he's a volume shooter Buddy Heald's been a forever oh, yeah. one right. sixer for me. I would absolutely love Buddy. And he's a guy that I don't understand Indiana wanting to move on from him, to, to be honest, that I think he fits their it, system. Yeah. I think playing next to Tyrese Halbert is the best thing for him as a player. And they seem to be pretty tight off the court as well. But if he's a guy on the block, I would absolutely make a push for Buddy that we see time in and time again, that three-point shooters coming in, whether it be J.J. Redick, Marco Bellinelli, Georges Niang, these guys – but due to the gravity that Joel Embiid carries, they put up some ridiculous three-point numbers. So I think adding a shooter with the, the volume and efficiency of Buddy Heald will look beautiful in the Sixers offense. So Buddy Heald's a name that if that's actually a guy that is for the taking, I would jump on for sure. So the Heat acquired Scary Terry. And mm -hmm. my thing is I like Terry, but I really felt and look, I'm not the organization, so I'm allowed to look in hindsight. Like, that's not the best thing to do when you're actually, like, working for the organization or trying to make moves moving forward. But I really thought they should have went and got Harden. And yeah. I thought that was their chance to win it all. And we're seeing, like, I don't think they pushed hard enough for that, and we're seeing what he's doing with the Clippers. 
Yeah, I've been very impressed with the version of James Harden that's playing in L.A. We know all the contractual uh, questions that are lingering in everyone's mind, and he's very clearly playing as the the best version, the motivation motivated version of, of James Harden. I've been impressed with his ability to play within a team concept from as far as even in Philadelphia, it was so isolation heavy and so two-man heavy that it became predictable in the offense. Has not been that way in Los Angeles, and that's a credit to Ty Lue for having him play like that. That was my my prediction for where he would end up would be in Miami. I don't know if he's the ultimate heat culture guy from the the off the court standpoint or kind of the the stylistic way he plays a little different from there. But I do think that they're missing that level of creator, a guy that you can pair with Jimmy Butler when it, the going gets tough, when it is crunch time, needing a bucket. So it will be interesting to see. I like Terry Rozier quite a bit, so I think this was a good move. But I do think that as far as real contenders of the East, they are a little bit short in that top end conversation. I get you with the heat culture there. I mean, Tyler Hero does fine there. He, he's, sure. he's he's in the mix. He's hanging yeah. out. <laughs> I mean, James Harden is the same. This is the same James Harden that has his jersey uh, retired in a strip club. So I do think it's a different version of uh, pushing the heat culture limits a little bit. <laughs> what did you make of him and Liv uh, with the Daryl Morey as a liar on the cake or on the on the banner? Yeah, that absurd that that all even happened. I, I will give Daryl Morey a little bit of a hat tip for, uh, I guess, taking the high road on a lot of this. And even when asked about it every time, I didn't get it from James Harden's standpoint of like, wh- like you, what are you trying to do to your leverage here? Like you're not helping your case because Daryl has proven time and time again that he will stare down the barrel of gun and not blink, that he's willing to wait until he gets the price point that he sees fit. And ultimately that proved to be the case with that deal. And frankly, like, as I mentioned, Nico Batum has been a phenomenal addition. Covington's been hurt. Marcus Morris has been really solid. So with that, with the cap flexibility and with the draft picks, which are obviously the, the prize of that deal, I think he got that. But to me, I mean, I don't think James Harden did himself any favors in the national perception. He's been much better since he got out to Los Angeles. But yeah, I, I, I still can't believe that all happened. It was crazy to me at the time, and it's crazy looking back, too. Yeah, does it, does Daryl Morey and, I mean, Daryl Morey has gotten a lot of criticism even over his basketball decisions, let alone everything else over the course of his career. Do you think he deserves a little bit more credit? And also Nick Nurse for just unlocking even more of the offensive genius that Joel Embiid is. Yeah, Nick Nurse, absolutely. That The offense just looks night and day, so much less predictable than it did under Doc Rivers. And we're seeing everyone's number with Joel front and center go up with it. So Nick Nurse, absolutely, with the creativity in the offense. And defensively, they change defensive formations like every timeout and every break. It's ridiculous. Whether they're going to a 1-3-1 zone, switching to a, some sort of man or different variation, it's every single break there's some sort of change, which I've never really seen from a coach before to that extent. So very cool from that from Nick Nurse. And then Daryl Morey, yeah, he just he just gets stuck and stubborn in a way that is beneficial, that he's not going to blink until he gets what he sees fit. I was more impressed with his management of the Ben Simmons situation of allowing that holdout to drag on and not sacrificing the price point there. And ultimately, with it, with, if he had just punted and gotten a deal that would have been not the proper return for what he see fit, and obviously we see how Ben Simmons' career has gone since this point, so he's definitely on the better side of history for all of this. Very impressive, and the Sixers would not be in this position to be contending for a championship that I believe they currently are if he had not done those things. I loved Ben's game at the peak of his game. I was trying to hold on, Sean. I don't even know. I don't know if I could hold on anymore, man. Might it's be disappointing. Over. It's yeah. really disappointing. Like, it, And even now, I think the conversations have gotten so frustrated with the way he handles things and obviously him not being on the you floor. You know, social media does take things out of context, especially with Ben for some reason. Yeah, absolutely. But people do forget, like at the peak of his game, he was a legitimate all-star, a guy that was a 20, 10 and 8 guy on a pretty much nightly basis and a blast to watch as a basketball player. So definitely disappointing to see the way his career has gone.
All right. So if no moves are made, Sean, let's end with this. Can the Philadelphia 76ers win a championship this season? They still can. I still believe they can. And I think there is a more legitimate chance that no significant moves are made than people are giving it credit. It all comes down to Joel Embiid proving it on the biggest stage. And we have yet to see that. He's had some really tough luck with injuries and, and some bizarre injuries too, whether it be breaking his face or the torn ligament in his finger and things like that. If he can stay healthy and play at the height of his powers on the biggest moment, I genuinely believe this team can win a championship. That the impact that he has, the two-way dominance, there's no other player in the league that can match that. And I, I, I would love for this to be the year. I want nothing more than to watch him to go on a burn the world tour and prove that he is that level of star. If he does that, I truly believe that, that nobody can get in his way. And I just hope that is the case. There it is, Sean Bernard. Where can we find you? Yeah, you guys can uh, follow me on Twitter or X at, at, at Sean underscore Bernard one. You can check me out on Fox Sports The Gambler as their Sixers and NBA insider there. Also, you can check me out on Sixers Digest on YouTube and PickSwap Media across all socials there. So talking Sixers and NBA, basically wherever I can get a mic. So thank you for having me on today and uh, always good chopping it up. Always good chopping it up, Sean. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Absolutely.